0: This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is April 15th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio.
1: My name is Steve Epstein, and I was at Hofstra Radio uh, from 1969 to 1973, uh, and I served as an uh, uh, announcer, a classical
0: music director, and engineer. Okay. Do you remember the names of the programs or shows that you worked on?
1: Yes, I do. Um, it's only 50 years ago, but I still, I still remember. Uh, one show is called The Music Chamber, where I featured uh, chamber music, obviously. Um, another show is called Celebration Concert, uh, and the, I played recordings of composers who, on that particular date, had a birthday. So it was basically a, a birthday show for composers. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think. I had a couple of, maybe one or two other shows that I can't recall uh, right off offhand.
0: Okay, uh, when you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have any nicknames or personas?
1: Uh, I use my own name. Um, I think it was Stephen instead of Steve, but uh, you know it sort of has a classical bent, so that's uh, that's how I uh, how I ad- identified myself.
0: Okay, very good. Um, this is a two part question. I usually ask it this way, but answer however it makes sense to you. I'm always curious what it is that brought you to the radio station, and then. The second part of the question is, when you got to the station, what was it like? Where was it? What do you remember seeing? Do you remember any of the people that you met uh, the first time you went to the station?
1: Sure. I I, I always loved radio, and um, I would listen to it uh, constantly. Um, Back in the day, when I was uh, quite young, I would listen to um, to WABC, um, and Dan Ingram uh, was... uh, was the, uh, I guess, Dan Ingram and Cousin Brucey, Bruce Morrow, were the two uh, main um, DJs. And I was into uh, rock and roll at that time, even though I love classical music from the age of two and to this day, of course. Um, But I I really enjoyed listening to that kind of music. And um, it was just sort of, uh, uh, radio is sort of in my my veins. Um, uh, And uh, as soon as I got to... um, uh, I also have a ham radio license, so I, I've extended my interest in that regard as well. Um, but uh, as, as soon as I got to Hofstra, first day of uh, of class, I made time to go to Memorial Hall, which is where the offices were at that time, and um, feeling a little bit intimidated, I guess, uh, because uh, most I think most of the folks there were older than I was at the time, either juniors and seniors. Um I think I even remember the name of the fellow. I think it was Christopher Zuboff, who was running the station at that time. We're talking nineteen well, nineteen sixty nine, and um, and I had told them that I wanted to uh, to work at the radio station to do uh, to do some classical music shows and to engineer. Actually, engineering I think was my main interest at the time, not actually announcing. Hmm. Um, so eventually, uh, I matriculated into the studio in the under uh, the little theater. Where it was located at the time and um i remember frank renstein a good guy who uh, basically taught me how to edit which to this day i use those very basic techniques um and taught me so other aspects of engineering um was one of the first people i had met i also met mark weiner and uh some uh, contemporaries at the time uh as well uh kevin riley and um who was a great announcer very bright guy. And we did some shows together. So anyway, uh, that was uh, pretty much my entree into uh, WVHC, which it was, of course, known as then. Um, And uh, I remember seeing the classical record library that uh, was in a room off to the uh, just opposite Studio A. And it was pretty extensive. Uh, Of course, there were no CDs back then. There were only LPs. And um, it had a very good stock of, uh, of of albums.
0: Before you came to Hofstra University, were you aware of the radio station? Is that one of the reasons you went uh, to Hofstra?
1: As I recall, I, I it was sort of a general feeling wherever I end up going to college, I want to work at the radio station there. And um, I guess as I w- got closer to graduating high school and did more research into Hofstra, um, I was so impressed by by the station, uh, that it was an FM station. It was not a carrier current station, so that was great. I think it had 320 watts of ER radi- effective radiated power at the time. It was in mono, um, but that was very exciting to me. And, of course, knowing uh, folks like uh, like Dan Ingram had started there and just knowing somehow the quality of the station came across, even in my late high school years, just going doing some research into it. So I was very excited about uh about, uh, uh, working there.
0: So you, you expressed an interest in radio while you were in high school and the ham radio license. Did you have an expectation of what a radio station would look like before you showed up at WVHC?
1: Good question. Um, not uh, very vague. Uh, it was pretty much an eye opener, uh, when I had, uh, first visited the actual station and, um, You know, seeing all the equipment, I mean, the Gates Diplomat, I think, was the board that we used, Um, and uh, some Ampex tape machines. It It was very exciting, and it was a little beyond what I had expected.
0: We've had some very colorful descriptions of what it was like going to the station under the little theater, the staircase, the, the carpet, the various rooms, so on and so forth. And, and some people were a little uh, impressed and others were a little disappointed. So I was just curious, uh, given your interest in, in, uh, in radio generally, if you had uh, a sense of excitement or disappointment or, or is it just this is what it is and, and I'm going to jump in and try it out.
1: Uh, I was very excited when when I saw you know the studios and uh, the Studio A and Studio B and the and uh, the record libraries. I was very excited, and of course all the equipment. Um, but I was very nervous. I have to be honest. Um, uh, you know, I had attended uh, just hanging out, you know, seeing how things worked there, and thinking, oh boy, um, this is going to be kind of scary. Uh, I, I even remember the very first uh, utterance if you can believe it, um, a a PSA that I did, my first announcement, and I can even even remember what it was. Um, Let me think. What was it? Uh, Oh, yeah. It was, veterans, here is a message for you, you know, delivered really awkwardly, Mm -hmm. scared out of my wits. And uh, things got a little bit better uh, as time went on, though, I have to say.
0: It, it made an impression, I guess. That's, that's great. Um, so when you get to the station and, and you make the first introductions, were there training classes? How did you learn how to be a, either a board operator, an engineer, or announcer?
1: Yeah, it was, it was primarily uh, Frank Runstein who had uh, uh, helped me through all of that. Um, how to sign the station on, turn the transmitter on. Um, again, as I mentioned, how to edit, how to work the board. Uh, so he was uh, he was doing a lot in that capacity. I think he was training others certainly as as well uh, who were starting. Who else there was? There, was, as I said, there was Mark Weiner. Mark, Mark Weiner, um, uh, great guy. He was he had a really good reputation. He was a very creative person as far as editing and doing shows and um, and that kind of a thing. But um, but it was primarily Frank that uh, that showed me the the ropes.
0: So it seems like a lot of observe and experiment and try things out.
1: Absolutely. And that's what was so great about the radio station. You had an opportunity to pretty much, you know, explore the possibilities rather than be extremely rigid and do things just a certain way. Um, So it really opened up uh, for me. It was it it was to be honest with you. I majored in music at Hofstra, which was a fine music department, but I learned more and um, worked more toward what I was about to do in my career uh, at the radio station um, eventually you know in the years that followed uh, you know in the 69 70 71 um, so that was uh, that was uh, what was so wonderful about the station not only enjoying and having some fun being on the air and working all the equipment but having the opportunity to um, to to uh, delve into what I would be doing professionally, uh, upon graduation.
0: It's a consistent story throughout the, the, the various decades of people that I've interviewed that some people get to the radio station and in some cases their studies don't quite keep up with their participation at the radio station. And you said you were majoring in music. Was there ever uh, a time where your uh, participation at the station was taking away from your studies or did you, were you able to find a balance?
1: And I found a balance, um, but knowing very much what I wanted to do, actually, when I was like a teenager, like 13 or 14, which was produce classical recordings and engineer them, um, that is, at the time, um, I'd actually gone to see um, who was to be my boss uh, much later down the road, Tom Frost, who was running, uh, he was co-director of Columbia Masterworks, at Columbia Records, the classical division of Columbia Records. And uh, at that time, there were no programs in um, sound technology at colleges, uh, so he suggested that I major in communications, which I or and or music, and so I took music. Uh, I studied violin, and uh, he said, um, "Do that and come back in four years and see him, <laughs> and see if there are any job opening opportunities." Which is exactly what happened. But the um, but the, you know but the radio station uh, allowed me to take. A pair of M67 Shore mixers, uh, two mono mixers, and um, a Revox tape machine that the that the station owned. A couple of AKG 224E microphones, (laughs) dynamic microphones, um, and um, go on, uh, you know, play various concert halls in Long Island. Maybe it's a library, maybe it's a church, and record ensembles. And then telling the artist that, you know, if it's, you know, okay. And if it's worthy, uh, I will be happy to broadcast it on, uh, on, on, on WVHC, which is what I did. I recorded, I edited. And, um, and I think that was another one of my shows, actually. Um, it wasn't a regular show, but it was a program that where I played live concerts that I had recorded. And that was exactly what helped me to learn my craft for the future. Uh, That's where you make your mistakes, you know, and you, you learn how to uh, how to mic acoustically, uh, you know, ensembles, etc. So that's really where it paid off.
0: That's amazing. And and was this you working by yourself and going recording these things? Were you working with anyone else? Because I, you know, how does someone learn how to properly mic an ensemble in various different auditoriums? That's that's got to be a lot of experimentation and and error. And how, how did you learn how to do that?
1: Well, um, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I would say observing, but there wasn't that much, as I can recall, uh, live concert recording back then uh, uh, at the radio station um, or broadcasting. And um, so it was pretty much trial and error. Although um, uh, I remember as a kid, you know, uh, creating a scrapbook, which had pictures of, of uh uh, of microphone techniques of classical recordings that I do- uh-huh. got that I cut out from, uh, from, from hi-fi magazines. And I saw so I had a good rough idea. And um, I have to say some of those recordings that I had done initially were not very good, but uh, again, you know, you, you, as long as you have a basic idea and concept of what you're trying to achieve and have an idea of the characteristics of the microphones, et cetera, and the acoustics, you can get a reasonably good recording. Um, toward the latter part of my, tenure at, at the station, I had worked with a fellow named Kev, Kevin Riley, who was a great, really great guy, who, uh, who announced some of the programs that I produced or that we co-produced. And one of the highlights of my career at uh, WVHC was doing live, live, actual live concerts of the Huntington Symphony in Huntington, uh, where I engineered uh, and Kevin announced. And we were off to the side of the stage of where the orchestra was playing. And I, uh, I opened and closed his microphone for announcing, and of course set up um, set up microphones uh, prior to the you know prior to the concerts obviously, um, and it was uh, we we were able to get a fifteen kilohertz line back to the studio, so it was high fidelity, even though it was mono, um, and those were some of the real the real highlights that. Uh, that I, that I can recall. Uh, so, but, um, primarily as an engineer, I pretty much did that on my
0: own. So I want to go back a little bit. It's not, uh, every teenager that has the dream of being an engineer for classical musical recordings. Um, how did this come about? Was it, was it just that you were exposed to a lot of classical music or the technical side? What was it that drew you to that as a career? Uh,
1: good question. Um, well, I guess at the age of two, I received a, a, a Columbia ten-inch Columbia Master ten-inch LP. Back then, they were making ten-inch, not twelve-inch yeah. recordings. We're talking like nineteen fifty-three, I guess, and um, and it was Mozart, a Mozart Piano Concerto, and I just fell in love with it. And from then on, uh, I was hooked on classical music. It, just something very natural, which I, I, I you know, to this day, uh, is very important to me. Um, I also got into some jazz and to I, some uh, musical theater uh, uh, as well, but primarily classical music was my, my main interest. And somehow that coupled with my interest in electronics, not certainly at the age of two, but be, as time went on, um, building Heath kits and um, loving the technique and the uh, the technique of of, of what I perceived in sound recording, using microphones and all that kind of stuff, uh, just led me naturally to wanting to be a uh, to be an engineer and eventually a producer uh, of classical music. So that was really uh, my, my my true calling, and I couldn't be luckier, having um, having pursued that career. You know, uh, 50 years later, um, in September it'll be 50 years since I was hired at uh, at Columbia Masterworks, and I worked there for 33 years straight. Um, even after Sony had purchased the company in 19, I think, 89. Um, So uh, for me to have the great fortune of listening to the great violinist Isaac Stern when I was a kid, and then how many years later as a record producer, recording him and producing him, and being able to tell my idol, Isaac Stern, "Um, Isaac, you're a little bit flat on that G, or you're a little bit sharp on, you know, as a producer does, that's the job of the producer... I mean, it really was incredible. Uh, and again, I can, you know, I, I am incredibly lucky. And again, WVHC played such an important role in getting to that point.
0: A lifelong passion then, and it turns into Definitely. a lifelong career. That's fantastic. Definitely. So I want to go back to your time at WVHC and you, you get on the air the first time with your, the veterans announcement and you're, you're learning from Frank and from Kevin, from other people. Was there a point where you realized that you were good at this, that you felt comfortable behind that? Was there any one particular moment or was it just sort of a gradual, uh, realization that you could do this?
1: Well, I, 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 as soon as that, that, uh, on the air live, uh, light goes on in the studio, <laughs> It's, it's, it's very easy to clam up. And, and I don't think I was ever that comfortable um, announcing. Um, uh, I think I was more comfortable engineering. Um, but uh, I'm trying to remember. I remember, for instance, one time where I was doing, a, it was terrible, a live interview with, uh, with this uh, uh, trio, uh, I think trombone, trumpet, and tuba, perhaps, Oh no! Two trumpets and trombone, whatever it was. I, I I recorded them, and then they were in the studio live doing an interview, and I just something just struck me as really funny, and I just started laughing live on air, and they were looking at me like, you know, what's this guy doing? And it was it, you know it was one of those things where you can't control yourself when you're laughing. It didn't last that long, but it was one of those things which, <laughs> which I can remember to this day, which was incredibly uncomfortable. Um, and I felt very badly for those guys, but things sort of straightened out and, and we continued with, <laughs> with the interview. Um, but I don't think I ever felt that comfortable, uh, doing, doing, uh, doing announcing, uh, even though I just love the idea of being on the radio and having a microphone in front of me and all of that. Um, I do remember making my audition tape, uh, a fellow by the name of Jerry Landau, great guy, another great guy, uh, who was, uh had a position at the station back uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, he had me uh, go into the equipment closet with a, a portable cassette player and and speak to see if I was worthy of doing, you know, being an announcer. It was an audition tape. And um, somehow I guess it worked out and it was successful, but, uh, but um, it wasn't the most elegant way of doing an audition tape. Let's put it that way.
0: That is the first time I've heard of, of such a thing. I guess it makes a little bit of sense, but um, that is that is a unique story. Thank you for, for sharing that. I guess, oh, I guess the second part of my question is that um, if you didn't feel that comfortable as an announcer, did you feel comfortable on the technical side as a board operator, as an engineer, as someone who's cutting tape? Did you feel a moment where, yeah, I can do this. This is the right way to go for me?
1: I think so. I mean, there was always, you know, I mean, nerves are, are a good thing, you know, in that kind of a situation, you know. So you're always up up on your game, and um, uh, but I, eventually, I felt um, I did some comboing, and that was really nerve wracking, as you can imagine. Um, but that really honed and refined my uh, ability to do regular board engineering uh, with an announcer in the studio. So so that was that was great. Um, um, but uh, I just want to mention that the audition tape that I made in the equipment room was in just off to the side of the office in uh, Memorial Hall, and it was the most isolated room where I would be able, <laughs> other than the studio of course, to, to do the, the audition tape. So that explains that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes sense, but I, I, I don't know if that increases the amount of nerves that I would have or if it's or <laughs> if it's a safe space and, and oh I can, I can just do the recording here. I don't know if that makes it better or worse
1: not sure but what, whatever it was the outcome was was a success so <laughs> so uh, no no complaints um but there my time at VHC there were i recall there were a couple of things um one had to do with uh we we were able to get a woodwind quintet a classical woodwind quintet uh which featured like an oboe a bassoon a french horn a clarinet um flute into the studio, into the small studio A. Um, so what? And I wasn't engineering it; I was announcing it. It was on my show, and I wanted to present these these musicians uh, and to have them play in the studio. But it was such a dead studio. Well, in the rack, in the uh, in the control room, we had a reverb unit. I think it was called a, a Fairchild Reverberatron. You know, mm-hmm. a spring a spring operated a spring loaded unit, which was. You know, I mean, prehistoric by today's standards, but it still gave the impression of some sort of reverb. So I said to the engineer, I can't remember who was engineering at the time. um, I said, look, why don't we why don't we throw that on when the um, you know, when the when the quintet plays so it'll give a little sense of space, you know. So we did that and the quintet played and it really sounded pretty reverberant. I mean, overly reverberant. And they finished playing. And I forgot to cue the engineer to turn the reverbitron off. So I announced the outro of that, of that, um, of that, of what they had played and my voice, I sounded like I was in a cathedral. Like, uh, it was so inappropriate and <laughs> it sounded, <laughs> it sounded really. So finally he shut the, uh, he shut the, he switched it off, but, um, that wasn't supposed to happen. So that was kind
0: of funny. Best intentions gone awry, I suppose.
1: Uh, totally.
0: Exactly. Right.
1: Exactly. Right. Um, and I'm trying to think of, oh yeah, the the last show that I done that I did before graduating uh, called the Music Chamber, uh, which was a, as I mentioned a chamber music program. Um, the intro was classical chamber music, and the outro was classical chamber music. I think it was a Schumann, the end, of, uh, the third movement of Schumann Piano Quintet or fourth movement, whatever. So pretty serious stuff. And I what would do is fade it up underneath my. Um, underneath my outro of the preceding piece that I had played and then saying, you know, good night, thanks for listening, whatever. And then the music would come up and then it would go out. So the last show I thought, what the heck? And I looked for the most, uh, something which would be totally, uh, inappropriate uh, as, uh, outro music for a serious classical chamber music show. So I found this 1959 recording called the mummy and, um, here here it is actually. Can I play just a moment of it? I this, this is it. I'm a mummy. I scare people. Watch what happens when I walk up to
0: somebody?
1: Okay. Anyway, <laughs> that that gives <laughs> that gives you an idea of how inappropriate it was for classical chamber music, but I figured what the hell Uh, let me fade it up. And as I'm announcing what we had just heard, you hear this mummy music come up and then it goes on and it goes on and out at the time, you know, that we had to end the show. So wouldn't you know that a minute later after the show ended, the phone rings in the control room and I get, uh, I'm told it's for me. I'm saying, oh, that's interesting. Somebody's finally listening. And I speak to the person on the phone. He says, yeah, can you please tell me what that mummy song was at the end of your show? And uh, so <laughs> it had nothing to do with the body of the work that I was trying to achieve right. doing a classical music show. The only call I think that I probably had gotten in four years was, <laughs> was the outro music for that program. So so be it. What can I tell you?
0: Well, well people were listening. They just were, were trusting your expertise. Let's go with that.
1: Thank you. That's the glass half full. Okay, I appreciate that.
0: I thought you were going to say the phone call was from Jeff Krauss and, and you got chewed out for doing something inappropriate.
1: You know, that's that's very funny, but uh, he probably got a kick out of it knowing Jeff. So I don't think that would have mattered. Uh, but um, there's one, one, one nice memory I have with, of Jeff um, was, um, again, in my last year. And I'm trying to remember the name of the lecture hall. It's across California Avenue and it was newly built at the time and it had reasonably good acoustics um and so kevin Riley and i decided to do a program of high school kids who were musicians playing pieces and then kevin they would play a piece we'd had an audience and then uh kevin would interview them uh there was a desk you know that we we, hooked, we put up in the in the lecture hall on the stage and it was just a wonderful wonderful show where the kids would talk and kevin did a great interview thing and I was engineering from a booth upstairs somewhere where I had a, a view, a glass. There was a glass window so I could see what was going on. And I would cue Kevin with a gizmo that I made, um, which was a light that I would, uh, a little light uh, uh, that I had made, um, which he would put in front of him on the, on the desk. And I would flip it on and off to cue him when we had to go to a station ID. And anyway, it really worked. Um, And uh, the night before or maybe several nights before, um, I had worked with Jeff, just the two of us on stage, um, soldering in some mic connectors. And it was just a lovely it was just a lovely time and sort of a bonding experience, you know, Um, and uh, it was uh, and it was one of my favorite. I think it was my the show that I was most proud of um, uh, uh, that I'd done in four years, this live
0: show. One of the things that, that people have often spoken about, Jeff, is that he was, uh, he was a mentor and he was an educator, but he loved the technical aspects of things. And I imagine there must have been other instances like that where you, you spoke earlier of using telephone lines and setting up different microphone arrays and, and learning the technology of it. There's so much that went into it. Today, we take it for granted that you and I are talking by computer over great distance and it's, it's super easy but at that time i imagine jeff and 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 frank and 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 mark and other people you were really involved in the technical aspect as much as the the content that you were producing
1: exactly it, it was very fulfilling you know to to be involved with with all those creative aspects uh, from technical to musical um and um and and to see what what w r h u or what WVHC has now become WRHU. Mm. And I visited the, the station a couple of times. In fact, I, I was honored with the Hall of Fame in, induction um, in 19, not 19, <laughs> in 2009. So that that was full circle for me, certainly, um, with, with respect to the, to the station. But to see what it's become and to read all the accolades, you know, in the press about the station, it's just, I, I, I'm so heartened about it. And it's so well-deserved. It's just a, a great... Um, it's just a great thing. Of course, I would love to see the classical music show rather than, I was it from five to seven in the morning? It would be nice, maybe from seven to nine. So more people <laughs> might might hear it, whatever. But uh, nevertheless, it's it's, uh, it's 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 just top of the line, uh, uh, you know, radio. No question about it.
0: So obviously, WVHC and your friendships and your experience they are meant a lot, not only to you as a person, but for your career and, and the rest of your life. But I'm wondering if you can go back to your mindset as an 18 year old entering the university and finding the station. And I think you've already answered this, but but can you go back in, in your mind's eye and think, well, what did I hope this experience would mean for me? And what did it become?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of my mindset back then. I mean, again, the, the technical nature of working at a radio station, uh, I find I found very appealing. Um, and, you know, in fact, um, I imagine, I'm not sure how relevant this is, but when I was in high school, there was a radio station which broadcast from the, um, oh boy, which hotel was that? Uh Garden City Hotel
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and it was WLIR. I'm not sure it's still around, but I'm sure the, the format is totally different but they, they, they did classical music and they did other things and um, and we had as a guest instructor in high school in the uh, speech uh, English class of a fellow who had worked who was a, who was an actual DJ for WLIR and he had a great voice and he did a classical music show and he did some other shows as well at WLIR. And I had asked him, I said, is it possible for me to visit that station? Uh, And this is in high school. Um, And he was really great. And he said, sure. And I went down there with a friend and um, got to get the, you know, that whole sense of uh, what a radio station looks like. I forgot to mention this earlier in our interview. But that was, I guess, my first visit to a a professional radio station. Um, And that sort of, uh, you know, just made it that much more... Immediate and necessary for me to uh, to stop by Memorial Hall on the first day of college of Hofstra in 1969 and try to uh, to see what it's all about. And uh, as I recall, you know, these were seasoned seniors <laughs> and, and juniors who were uh, who I had uh, gone to see in the, uh, in the in the office.
0: The difference between an 18 year old and a 22 year old at that at that moment <laughs> it's it seems vast <laughs> at the moment, right?
1: Uh, absolutely absolutely
0: so would it be fair to say that you hoped wvhc would would be a springboard to a career
1: well that's exactly what happened and again uh my uh my future boss boss at uh, columbia masterworks uh said that i should major in music and do you know what i could do and since there were no sound technology programs available anywhere um now i'm fortunate enough to be an adjunct professor at mcgill university where i where i uh Teach uh, classical music uh, recording. They have one of the best, if not the best, sound technology program. It's very vast uh, with all you know co- coverage of you know film, radio, television, mm-hmm. um, recording, of course, uh, uh, state of the art. But anyway, um, um, uh, when when my future boss said to major in music, my working at the radio station was part and parcel of the preparation to do exactly what I ended up doing in my career.
0: And it it comes full circle now with you teaching the next generation, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you.
0: Well, thank you, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time and, and sharing your stories. I am working on another round of questions and hopefully you have some more stories and maybe we can do this again sometime.
1: It would be my pleasure. And I really enjoyed speaking with you, Brian. Uh, Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, thank you so much.